And hello, and welcome into another episode of the Hungry Takes podcast. Welcome, everybody, tonight on a Thursday night. We are joining you live from our studio in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Welcome, everyone who's either listening live on the ColorCast app or who will listen later on on Spotify and your other favorite podcast hosting sites. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes. And Matt, we were talking about before the show tonight that it's been a busy week for both of us with our jobs. It's great to relieve some stress and be back on um, for our show. Yeah, Joe, this has kind of become a thing, right? It's just every Thursday, 6.30, 7 o'clock, we're here. Uh, we're kind of giving everybody our hot takes, our hungry takes on what's going on in the world of sports. It's kind of become cathartic a little bit, to be completely honest with you. It really has, Matt. And I know that we had some people join in the chat. And like I said, wanted to welcome everybody. And if you've not listened to the Hungry Takes podcast before, really appreciate the support. We're hoping tonight might even bring some people on the hot seat if time allows. And Matt, I did want to give you an opportunity because you always articulate this so well to maybe give some of our first time listeners a little bit of an insight into what our show entails. Yeah, Joe. So there's there's no telling what you're gonna listen to when you when you tune into Hungry Takes, right? So uh, we're gonna talk general high level sports tonight. We're gonna specifically focus on the NFL. Other nights we may jump into the NBA, NHL, golf, tennis. I mean, across the board, we'll talk about any sport. Along the way, we have this new cool hot seat feature, which allows us to have guests on in the moment if we hit a hot topic or a hungry take topic that they love. And then we also bring on crazy guests from time to time. When we uh, are not just doing the podcast, we also broadcast live games on ColorCast. So this past weekend, we did uh, Green Bay and New Orleans, that blowout. But yeah, Joe, this is what we like to call Hungry Takes, which what we decided was we would combine food and sports because we both agreed there is this intrinsic link between people, happiness, food, and sports. You can't have food without sports, and you really can't have sports without food. And so that's what we're here, and that's why we call ourselves Hungry Takes. Absolutely, Matt. As our friend and infamous uh, color cast celebrity loves to say, Leroy, we give the people what they want and everybody loves food or sports. You have something for everybody out there. And speaking of somebody, something for everybody, I mean, football is back in the NFL in college, Matt, full swing, had a full slate of games. You mentioned our coverage of Saints Green Bay and to your delight, of course, Aaron Rodgers did not play very well, I'm sure. Super for, excited about that one for Green Bay. But I wanted to ask you about some of the other storylines surrounding the NFL. And one story that really stood out to me was how the Sunday night game played out with the Rams hosting the Chicago Bears. Matthew Stafford, it looked just like a seamless transition into uh, the Rams offense. We knew that the Rams had an absolutely loaded defense with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. But now their offense is really making some waves. Yeah, and you know, with Matt Stafford, I would like to give him the benefit of the doubt. I have always wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, mainly because of the Detroit Lions organization. Okay, And what I'm saying here is you could look at Matthew Stafford. He throws a bunch of interceptions. He always had a late fourth-quarter comeback, and the Detroit Lions would always lose. You could point to him and say, Matthew Stafford is really not that great of a quarterback. Then you look at it in the context of Reggie Bush didn't work out in Detroit. Barry Sanders quit early, like in his early 30s. Chad Johnson, uh, not Chad Johnson, uh, Megatron, uh, help me with the name, uh, Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson, yeah. Calvin Johnson quit extremely early, decided to retire. I want to say in his late 20s, I want to say. Maybe 30. Or maybe 30. So yeah. he quit five to 
five to eight years younger than he should have. And so when I see all of that, I say, this wasn't a Matthew Stafford problem. This was a Detroit Lions problem. And so now that Matthew Stafford is with the Rams, you've got Sean McVay. It's an innovative organization. They have all new facilities. They have players, Robert Woods, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup. I mean, they're just lights out with ball players. I really think Matthew Stafford is going to do some incredible stuff in the Rams organization, and we saw that right out of the gate is that that is a dynamic offense. Him and Cooper Cup, oh my gosh, Joe, if you got Cooper Cup in fantasy, wow, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. And speaking of wow, I'm already kind of looking at a prelude to the Week 3 matchup, which is going to be so much um, intrigue with the Buccaneers traveling to L.A. to take on the Rams, compelling for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's kind of one game on the schedule that the Buccaneers could lose easily. And second, it allows Tom Brady to potentially go to the side of the Super Bowl this year and get to play a game. So it always already kind of feels like those teams are going to be two of the best in the NFC. When we talk about Tom Brady, though, you can't talk about him without focusing somewhat on Bill Belichick. The Patriots, Matt, lost a season opener to the Dolphins. What do you make of Bill Belichick in this bounce back um, year potentially? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think the Dolphins all in all are going to be a pretty decent team. I'm not really sure what I think about Tua just yet. What I would say is that had the running back for the New England Patriots not fumbled the ball, 100% confidence that Mac Jones would have punched that in the end zone, right? Like, all game, he was playing a rock-solid game, great decision-making. He was never really hurried. He did not make any bad decisions like we kind of saw with Zach Wilson at the beginning of the New York Jets game. So I have 100% full confidence that if that ball is not turned over by the New England Patriots running back, Mac Jones gets a touchdown right there, and ultimately the Patriots win. And so I think the outlook for the Patriots – is pretty good, which is hard to believe, you know, after releasing Cam Newton and and just what that offense looked like with Cam Newton. Joe, I never would have thought Mac Jones may be the right guy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And it was also crazy to see two former Alabama quarterbacks squaring off in week one. I mean, that was definitely uh, interesting. You know, the NFL wanted to set up that matchup with a lot of intrigue. But I wanted to talk to you about a couple of the teams who came into the league this season with a lot of expectations in the AFC. And one of these teams I picked to make it to the Super Bowl, the Tennessee Titans and the Cleveland Browns both lost in week one. The Browns just in gut-wrenching fashion after the, you know they had a lead in that game against the Chiefs on the road. Uh, Baker Mayfield throws an inexplicable interception at the end of the game. We were watching it live on ColorCast as it transpired. And then on the other side, you have the Titans who just got um, steamrolled at home by the Cardinals. Which team are you more concerned about with the outlook, the Titans or the uh, the Browns? So the Titans, right? And here's why. Let me let me address the Baker Mayfield comment. I don't have a problem with the Browns. I thought the Browns played a pretty darn good game. In fact, I would argue they really outplayed the Chiefs, except until the late fourth quarter, kind of beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, my problem with the Browns is what Baker Mayfield said yesterday, right? He said he walked in the meeting, he talked to his guys, and he you know, he was just like, as a locker room, we got to learn how to take this one. You know, like we got to learn, you know, it's a bad situation and we got to learn how just to deal with it and, and just rally around it. And I'm like, I'm thinking, Baker, it's not a bad situation. You cost it. <laughs> like, like the team doesn't need to learn how to take it. You need to learn how not to make stupid plays in the final second. And so, and I understand that's Baker trying to be a leader, 
But what I would say is it's not the team that needs to internalize that. You need to internalize that and come out even more as a leader, right? As far as the Titans, here's my thought, and I'll turn it over to you here. I'm worried because what I see is two big mouths to feed. I see Derrick Henry, which went to unprecedented levels last year, so now you got to feed that, which Derrick Henry will happily take it, and he's not he's humble. He's not going to ask for the ball. But now you have Julio Jones, and it's kind of like Odell Beckham in Cleveland. It's ironic you bring these up together. If Ryan Tannehill just sits back and waits and waits and waits while Julio Jones tries to get open, then that offense is not going to work. What you have to do is you just have to give Julio Jones what he can get. You got to feed AJ Brown. You got to feed all the mouths. You can't just sit back there and wait and wait and wait, hoping Julio Jones is going to get open and then design that whole offense around him. And that's what you see with OBJ and the Browns is that when OBJ's in the game, they just wait and wait and wait and they design all the plays trying to get OBJ open. Well, here's what I would say. I have actually one serious uh, takeaway and then also a comical one based on what you were saying as well, which I think will. Um, lend uh, credence to our show's name. Um, first and foremost, I'm more concerned about the Browns in principally because I think they play in a tougher division. I think there is time for the Titans to get it turned around, albeit I was shocked with that development. Maybe it says more about the Cardinals and their chance this year for contention. But on a comical note, Matt, true to the name of our show, Hungry Take, did you realize that you mixed in, maybe intentionally, a few great parallels and references to food? During that take, you talked about feeding certain players. You also mentioned the name Baker Mayfield. You know, he's definitely perfect for Hungry Takes, Baker. It's genius. I love it, Joe. I love it. And, you know, I, I hear you. I understand. It, it's funny to me, right, that, like, we, we see this time and time again. These teams that are loaded, they often struggle. I mean, we saw it with the Lakers, right, when they had Carl Malone and Gary Payton and all these cats, right? It just didn't work out. And it's going to be funny to see if Tampa works out because it's one of the first teams that you could say was truly loaded top to bottom that it may work out. But the, what I would say there is just Tom Brady makes it work out. He's okay spreading the ball across the field. That's what he's accustomed to. We also saw it fell for the Yankees, right? The Yankees had the most expensive roster and never amounted to anything. So yeah, I just worry about that with the Titans. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly a compelling point. Um, as we finish our general NFL talk uh, segment on the show before we get into the um, much-anticipated hungry take of the show, I do want to ask you about the team that we cover here, the New Orleans Saints. You know, they're going to be coming off just such a high with that dominating win against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. They'll go on the road to play the Carolina Panthers. What are your expectations for that matchup? Yeah, so – Say that again, Joe. I missed it. Say that one more time. What are your expectations for the matchup between the Panthers and the Saints at Carolina? Okay, so I fully expect, uh, expect to see Jameis just to continue growing, right? Like, I, I think, you know, watching it here with you, I think you were excited about what you saw from Jameis. I certainly was efficient, productive, not the most pass yards, but at the end of the day, he convincingly beat a Packers team with five touchdowns. So I expect Jameis to um, – just keep keep the momentum going, right, and have a really good game against Carolina, I expect to see the Saints' defense really step up in that game and really shut down Sam Darnold and that kind of patchwork Carolina offense. Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued to see how Darnold looks in his second start for Carolina. Kind of surprised me that they got a week one win kind of quietly um, throughout the other headlines in the league. But I'm also interested, to your points, about Jameis Winston trying to follow it up in week two. And I was most um, pleased with him not turning the ball over. He was very efficient. Yeah, he only had, what, like 150 passing yards, but five touchdowns to zero interceptions. 
He let the defense and the running game work, and that's the recipe for success with this Saints offense. And so it's also though going to be a very intriguing matchup from the running back position because you have two of the best running backs from the 2017 draft class in Christian McCaffrey against Alvin Kamara. Yeah, you know, Joe, the last thing I'll say about that game is really about Sam Darnold. I feel like, I mean, there's just a list you can go down of Sam Darnold and Mitch Trubisky and all these guys. I think the latest one is about to be Tua, right, down in, in Miami. They're put in such bad situations. So you would look at the Carolina Panthers and say, oh, man, they got Sam Darnold. He's already been used up and, and he's no good. But the truth is, when they get, when you get drafted so high, you go to such a miserable team one player is not going to make the difference. And that's kind of my argument with Zach Wilson there in New York is that everybody thought he was going to be or thinks he's going to be the savior. It's not a Zach Wilson quarterback problem. It's an organizational problem. And so who knows? There may be a lot of juice left in Sam Darnold, and he may be a fantastic quarterback. It's just they get brought in at such a young age, put in such miserable organizations with high turnover. There's no way these guys can be successful. Well, I've been on record before when we were doing our NFL draft coverage back in the spring that I would prefer to draft a pass rusher or an offensive lineman with a top five, top ten pick because I think it's just tough to throw these quarterbacks basically in, you know, in the deep end. Yeah, and, and some of the guys, to your point, Joe, they're teams that because of the situation they're in, they've manifested themselves. So they have passed up year after year of drafting high-quality talent that will stay around, meaning they forewent their defense or their offensive line, and instead they, they go after a wide receiver. It doesn't work out because the quarterback's no good or whatever. They trade him, right? Or they go after a quarterback, and a few years later it doesn't work out because he didn't have any weapons. So they end up at a franchise like the New York Jets, kind of like Carolina right now, some patchwork rod receivers, maybe a running back, no offensive line, and it puts them in a bad spot. Absolutely. But we will be here on the call um, for Sunday's game between the Panthers and the Saints. So join us at 12 o'clock Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern Time for that coverage with Hungry Takes. Matt, you mentioned Mitch Trubisky a few moments ago, and I almost wanted to say Mitch Trubiscuit because God. I love to hear that reference. You know, I think about Hungry Takes with that. And that kind of got me in the mood for some food talk. And our Hungry Take food discussion for the night, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a classic debate regarding um, a very, uh, I think, um, important topic to my stomach, to my heart, whatever you want to say. And that would be a debate about um, whether we prefer cake or pie. I feel like there's a lot of people out there when it comes to desserts, people are either pie people or cake people. You don't usually have a lot of people that are maybe like both. Where do you stand on that debate? Yeah, and we're also going to throw in the kicker that you can have ice cream or you can take the ice cream off, right? So there's the kicker. That's the X factor. So I'm probably going to go with probably the pie side, and here's why. Okay. I feel like pie is a lot harder to mess up. You can see some really great, like fool's gold, I always call it, some really delicious-looking cake, and then you taste it, and you're like, wow, there's no flavor there. The icing really wasn't that good, or it was overly sweet. It's hard to mess up a pie. I mean, lemon pie, cherry pie, sweet potato pie, pecan pie. I mean, what's good is good, and to me, pies are hard to mess up. I like pie, but I do prefer cake, and it's largely because I'm not as much of a fruit fan as I am more like a calcium-based, you know, chocolate, vanilla-type guy. And I never was really into strawberry, but like chocolate, vanilla, I really like. And any type of chocolate cake, like I'm fine with some ice cream on that too, chocolate brownie with ice cream. So I'm definitely a cake person. Okay, and but see – 
then you throw in the idea of ice cream on top of it, right? And I'm sitting here like, to me, ice cream on top of cake, it's just sweet on top of sweet. So you got the way too sweet icing nine out of 10 times. You're going to mix that with some way too sweet ice cream. It doesn't work for me. When you throw that ice cream on top of that pie, it's a stunner, Joe. It's absolutely a stunner. Well, kind of the way I get around it is chocolate pie. Now that's a winner with some ice cream because that's almost kind of uh, mixing the best of both worlds. Yeah, it is. So look, I'm a pie guy. You're a cake guy. I do want to throw out a real quick shout out to a cake place if you're interested. It's actually a bakery. Now we're in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It's where our studio is at. But if you're listening to us, you know, I'm from Louisiana. Go check out Atwood's Bakery in Alexandria, Louisiana. It's one of the best bakeries in all of the U.S. It got on a TV show, highly ranked. They have the best cake that you will ever eat, like birthday cake. And then they also have other delights like cannolis and brownies and cookies and pie. And so they are across the board, just a wonderful bakery dessert shop. Go check them out, Atwood's Bakery, Alexandria, Louisiana. Sounds great. Sounds great. So that was definitely a fun installment of uh, Hungry Takes, the pie versus cake debate. We might even have to bring that back, you know, by popular demand on a future cast or podcast later on. So moving on, guys, um, before we get into the hangry rant for our show, we do want to um, spend some time talking some baseball headlines because we've been really into football, you know, the last few weeks and justifiably so with uh, the start of the NFL and college football seasons. But, Matt, we have some excitement down the stretch in the month of September for Major League Baseball. Um, Playoff contention is at a premium. And then also specifically, there's an ongoing debate about who's going to win the MVP, um, especially in the American League. And two players that everybody's concentrating on are, of course, uh, Shohei Otani and uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and I know you maybe had some thoughts you wanted to share about Vlad Jr. and also watching his dad growing up. Yeah, so I'm going to leave you to the expert analysis on baseball. Everyone knows that listens to the podcast that I, I don't wade in those waters, right? That's your expertise. But what I will say is, you know, I haven't been keeping up with the story about Va- Vlad Guerrero Jr. I'm going to defer to you on that. But what I do know is I loved watching his father play baseball back in the day, right, for the Expos. And, and I just feel like – He was always one of the power hitters that became super underappreciated for what he did. And I think my love for Vlad Guerrero came from King Griffey Jr. Baseball on N64. I started playing there, then I kept up with him, watched his career. But if I remember correctly, he had the ability to stand at home plate and throw the ball over center field, I want to say. So that speaks to his arm strength. And another thing that impressed me about um, Vlad Jr.'s dad, Vladimir Guerrero Sr., is that he could swing and make contact with basically any pitch. Like, it didn't have to be in the strike zone. Like, he could be just a few inches off the dirt, and he was going to line it into the outfield for a base hit or hit it over the fence. So it's just unbelievable. And you see with the genes, his son, Vlad Jr., is just picked up where his dad left off. And I think it's really cool that while Vlad Jr. is not playing in Montreal, of course, He's getting to play for another Canadian team in Toronto, kind of keeping that tradition going for the family. And this year, Matt, I really think he's made just an MVP statement. Like, I understand and I just love the story of Otani with him being you know, a dual threat athlete, a pitcher, and, of course, a hitter and having so many home runs. But right now, Vladimir Guerrero actually leads the uh, league in home runs with 45. He leads the league in batting average at 317. And he's getting close as far as the triple crown with RBI contention. And so I think if he makes, if he gets the triple crown, you got to put uh, Vlad uh, Jr. in the running for the MVP. Yeah, I think so. And 
gosh knows, all I've been seeing for the last two or three days is him plastered everywhere on ESPN. So I, it feels like Otani's dipped off a little bit. Now Guerrero's taking that spotlight. Something else, Joe, I'll throw in there that I think doesn't really help Otani's case for the MVP or the Angels is that I think it's recently come out that Mike Trout is injured and he's going to sit out the rest of the season. So is there anything you know about that injury you can kind of shed some light on? I don't know the specifics. I know I saw an interview with Mike Trout back in mid-August um, and he was talking about wanting to come back this season, but you look at the fact that the Angels aren't in playoff contention and so I think they want to be really careful with their face of the franchise and kind of uh, cautiously bring him back in spring training last year, next year and not kind of rush him back. But as far as Otani, when it comes to injuries, there's rumors now that he may not pitch again this year, the last two weeks, because he has a sore arm. And so that would also affect his ability to win the MVP. So it's going to be interesting to see who wins the MVP, um, but it's also going to be interesting to see how um, the playoffs set up. We have a lot of really good teams this year, and it's really kind of cool that you have the Giants and the Dodgers, Matt, both of these teams play in the same division in the National League West, and it's looking like both of them have a prime chance to win over 100 games. It's really rare when you have two teams from the same division with 100 wins. That's going to be a travesty that one of those teams will be a wild card team. And, you know, I, I don't want to skip over that because I think that's awesome uh, just perspective there. But, Joe, you talk about rarities. And you, everybody knows I don't know a ton about baseball, right? I'm more of a casual observer. But correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't think people understand truly what's going on with the Angels, with Otani and Mike Trout. So Otani's like the first guy since Babe Ruth that could hit for power, home runs, like a big-time hitter, and can also throw a 100-mile-hour fastball, right? And then my understanding is if you deep dive Mike Trout's statistics, he is online with like the Mickey Mantles, the Willie Mays, like he is that kind of talent. He's not good. He's not MVP. He's like legendary, like top five all time. And so you literally have like Babe Ruth and Willie Mays playing on the same uh, team and they don't get a whole lot of credit for it. They're otherwise kind of under the radar. No, that's right. And kind of the travesty is we've never this season really got to see both of them together for long stretches of time due to Trout's injuries. And in the past, we've seen Otani miss some time with Tommy John surgery. And so hopefully next year in 2022, both of these superstars can be out on the full stage in L.A. playing for the Angels and, you know, just really excited about the future of those players. And I'm still rooting for Otani. Like, I do think that Vlad has, Jr. has overtaken him for the MVP race. But I hope that Otani is able to keep this uh, going in the future. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think it's great for baseball, right? Anytime we've had this discussion, I know me and you get deep on this. This is something that we are definitely on opposite sides of the aisle on this. No pun intended there. But, you know, we both agree that good things need to happen for baseball anytime big-name players can be in the spotlight for the MLB. It's always a great thing. So so good on Vlad Guerrero Jr., and, and hopefully Otani picks it up and, and keeps going. He doesn't have to sit out uh, with that injury you were talking about. So, Joe, real quick, uh, why don't you give our listeners kind of um, an update on the NHL schedule, right, because we like to cover all sports. I know we had a quick update on that, and I'll, I'll turn that over to you real quick. Yes, we have, of course, an expansion team that's new to the NHL for the 2021-2022 season. And Seattle is actually, I believe, going to open the season. They're going to play one of the first games, if not the first games, on the schedule. So it's going to be really cool for the Seattle fan base. And I'm excited as well for two reasons. One, it was kind of messing with me, kind of being OCD about the NFL have, or not the NHL having an odd number of teams, like 31 for a few years. Glad to see them add Seattle and get to 32 teams finally. 
And then the other thing, I think this can be great for a regional rivalry between Vancouver and Seattle since they're in close proximity to each other. It is, and I'm super excited for that Seattle fan base. Like, you know, Seattle getting teams, I think Las Vegas getting teams. We saw Las Vegas Raiders win this weekend. That's great for Vegas. I think it's a great place uh, to have different franchises. I'm pulling for Vegas to get a basketball team. Then it really will be an adult playground, right? You got the casinos. You got all the other fun you can have. You got hockey, baseball, uh, basketball. You got everything there, right? Football. They just need an NBA team. But great for Seattle because they undeservingly got the super uh, Supersonics ripped from them in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that was very unjust because that Seattle fan base, much like the, uh, the, the Oakland fan base, love that team. And so anything they can do for Seattle, I'm always a huge proponent of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at how, case in point, they support the Seahawks. You know, just a great fan base. Right. The Mariners, you know, when they're good, they support them. The Mariners, of course, have, unfortunately, the longest playoff drought in Major League Baseball. But, yeah, really exciting things for Seattle. And then also, Matt, excited that with our mentioning of hockey tonight, we've uh, pulled it off, I think, throwing in a reference to all four major uh, U.S. sports. That's one thing, if you've never listened to us before on Hungry Takes, we really strive to be as versatile as anybody when it comes to uh, talking sports on a podcast. Joe, man, we've given them just just – logical sports analysis we've talked football baseball basketball hockey joe we've talked food cake we've done and it, pie cake and pie tonight we've done it all so you know what's left right the most anticipated segment of the show the most anticipated segment of the show the hangry rant and tonight joe the hangry rant is going to be about urban meyer and i want to make sure you get some time on this so i'll be brief in my rant here but I just want to say that it, from the looks of it, Urban Meyer is extremely unhappy with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the reason I'm bringing this up is there's recent conversation about him taking the Southern California job, right? I don't see that happening. There's no way. You're talking about one game in NFL football. There's no way that Urban Meyer goes back to college. It's absolutely ridiculous. Just a reporter trying to make up a story. But what I will say is if you watch those games, if you watch or look at any image of Urban Meyer in his current state in Jacksonville, you can see he is as extremely unhappy as it gets. And the only reference I can make is that they got drubbed by the Houston Texans who have lost – their running back, their wide receiver, their quarterback, they have nothing left on that team. And they got drugged. I think it was 37 to 21. And I'll leave you with this and let you take it over. But to me, losing to the Houston Texans in the current state is a lot like, you'll love this, losing to Mississippi State in college football, okay? Not a great team. They're not going to beat you nine out of ten times, but they will beat you that one time. And you have the best quarterback in the last draft class, and you got beaten by the Mississippi State of NFL football. And so, to me, Urban Meyer's got to be extremely sad about his situation. Well, yeah, I love those references to Mississippi State and that limelight similar to, you know, you with Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, definitely well uh, played with that reference. But additionally... The other thing about it is you lose to a quarterback in Tyrod Taylor for the Texans. You did not lose to Deshaun Watson. So that's definitely concerning for Jacksonville. And I get that they have a rookie quarterback. Some people are going to concentrate on the positives of him throwing three touchdown passes, but he had the three interceptions. And you lose to kind of a seller dweller in your division. You have a hard kind of underrated division with a team that I think is a Super Bowl contender coming into the season with the Tennessee Titans and also a team that's hoping to make the playoffs with Carson Wentz and that 
talented roster in Indianapolis with the Colts. So we'll see where Jacksonville goes from here. Also be interesting to see where all the headlines with the speculation about Urban Meyer going forward goes. I don't think we're going to see the speculation end anytime soon this season if Jacksonville struggles as far as USC and uh, who knows, maybe some other jobs open up as well in the college ranks. So I think that's going to do it, guys, for us tonight on the Hungry Takes podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Really appreciate the support as always. You can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes to keep up with our podcasting schedule, to keep up with our casting schedule on ColorCast. Look forward to calling another Saints game this weekend. We'll be on the air uh, this Sunday at 12 o'clock Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern for Saints. Carolina Panthers excited to see Alvin Kamara against Christian McCaffrey's hope you guys enjoyed the episode tonight and we will talk to you soon have a good night